You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love More Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. If we have the attitude that it's going to be a great day, it usually is. And this is from Catherine Pulsifier. If we have the attitude that it's going to be a great day, it usually is. One thing I'm learning the older I get, there's so much that goes on in this world. And only very little we hear about on the on the news or I don't I stopped watching the news when I was nine, but it's almost impossible not to get away from hearing about different things going on in the world. There is probably billions of things that happen every day and that can absolutely upset you. It 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 I'm learning it's a choice. It takes a choice. Choose again. If we have the attitude that it's gonna be a great day, it usually is it takes our participation. I'm learning that more and more and more, more and more and more. And so I want to welcome you to our Saturday, January 28th, 2023 show. Thank you for joining us. We have a wonderful author. You like science fiction, fantasy, historical fiction? Get ready, get ready, get ready for the author we're going to share with you today here on Off the Shelf Thank you to our loyal listeners. You guys, 18 years, 18 years, 18 years. And sometimes I wonder if it's been longer than that. It was right around when I came out with my first novel, Portia, and that was in July 1998. I didn't come out with Off the Shelf. It was on a real radio show, the kind of show you listen to in your car, you turn the dial. It was on Rainbow Soul, which was out of New York City, when it first came out, it might have been either late 98 or 99. This show's been on a lot of years. For those of you who've been with us from the beginning, I cannot thank you enough. If it's your first time tuning in to Off the Shelf, you are listening to the winning book radio show, Off the Shelf. And it's still time for you to tell your family, your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, people you know who love books, you can bless them today. Let them enjoy a treat as they listen to today's author. They can still join off the shelf now. In the, you can either join through the chat room. There's so many ways. It's on Apple. There's so many different ways to join off the shelf. Or they can, you can dial 347-994-3490. Again, that's 347-994-3490. But before I introduce to you today's awesome guest, you know, you guys, this is something my dad told me when I was a kid. Real life is, it just offers deeper, more complex mysteries than than the greatest books or movies. Real life itself. And that's not to say that books can't tell real life mysteries in a powerful way. And in fact, Escaping Toward Freedom is just such a mystery suspense book that pulls that off. So Clarissa, give you guys a little backstory. Clarissa is a writer. She's been vacationing in North Georgia mountains. That's that's so quiet and quaint. Some areas they don't even have Wi-Fi, and she's trying to stir her creative juices to get enough fervor, get that pen going, so she can write another bestseller. Her last book was a New York Times and Essence bestseller, and her bank account's running low, so she's got to she's got to get another one going. 
Well, she isn't in these, a cabin in the mountains two, four days when she spots what looks like a girl hiding by her cabin. And the choice she makes regarding that girl changes her life forever. It's amazing how your life can change. One little simple decision. If you love a mystery, and it's a fast-paced mystery, I encourage you to get a copy of Escaping Toward Freedom. It's an e-book, paperback, hardback. If you don't see it on library shelves, bookstore shelves, just ask the clerk. You want to get a copy of Escaping Toward Freedom by Denise Turney. Please go treat yourself and let me know how you enjoy Escaping Toward Freedom. And now, Jumbo Jumbo, let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And today's guest is Shante Hershenson. And if I say her name wrong, I hope she corrects me. Shante is a writer and spoken word poet. Her early works were published when she was in the sixth grade. Writing has been part of her life since she was very young. Her writing crosses genres covering science fiction, fantasy, and historical fiction. She is an advocate for anti-bullying. Go Shante! And books she has written and published include You Won't Know Her Name, Beyond Lock, The Eris Andraste Duology, and The Chronicles of Zelle Delane. Shante lives in California. She loves skateboarding, running, falconry. Maybe she'll tell us what that is, and Beyblading, something else she could maybe give us some insight on. Please check Shante out online at ShanteHershenson.com. I'm going to spell that. S-H-A-N-T-I-H-E-R-H-E-N-S-O-N.com. What a cool last name. S-H-A-N-T-I-H-E-R-S-H-E-N-S-O-N.com. We're honored to have Shanti here with us on Off the Shelf this morning. Welcome, 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 Shanti. Thank you so much for having me. Hope I said your name correctly. So on the yes, on the yes. beginning, oh, I got it, I got it right. <laughs> Good. The first two questions I'm going to ask you, I ask every guest who comes on the show, so our listeners can get a little backstory on the guests. And this will be the first about three, four questions. So to kick it off today, Shante, can you tell off the shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Yeah, so I grew up in the suburbs of Los Angeles, um, La Crescenda to be exact. It's, like, right below the foot. It's, like, in, not right below. It's, like, near the foot of, like, the Angeles National Forest. It's a really pretty place. Um, I have to say a lot of, actually, inspiration for my books came from that area. It's, oh. um, there's a lot of animals there, but it's also, at the same time, really close to the big city. So I was exposed to, both, like, kind of a suburban area and also, like, the city growing up. And then when I was 11, I moved two hours south to San Diego. And I have to say it's very, very different down here than it is in Los Angeles because now we're near the beach, and it's actually surprisingly a little colder because it gets really, really hot now. And it's – I don't know how to explain it, but those are very two different places. It's really weird to kind of go back and see how different, like, things are and how different people are. Um, I'm not sure which place I like better, because every time I go back to L.A., I'm like, oh, I miss this. But then every time I'm in San Diego, I'm like, oh, I love it here. So it's very complicated. Oh, okay. Well, it's wonderful you got those two different contrast experiences, and at such a young age. 
And the curious, you said people are different, but have you, as a writer, have you come to see that there are like common things that are just common to humans? It doesn't matter the age, it doesn't matter uh, religion, nationality. It just there are these common things about us, like cats. There are common things to little house cats that are to lions and tigers. Have you found that, like, in your travels and different places you've lived, that this is just common to humans? I think definitely it's, like, anywhere I go, I usually find, like, you know, there are people that, like, remind me of other people or just there's people that kind of just feel like – because I feel like everyone really is really similar, like, whether they like it or not. Yeah, I've definitely noticed a lot of things, like, people do and how people act and, like, everyone does. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I agree with that. And when you travel more, you you see just these common, we all think we're so unique. <laughs> but we we want to be, but we are very, very, very much alike. Now, as a child, Shanti, you said you grew up around, like, animals, and it has impacted a lot of your writing. When you were a little girl, what did you dream of becoming? What did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah. I have to say, when I was really young, I dreamed of becoming several different things. However, one of them was always to be an author. I just thought it was something I could do when I was older, along with another job or just something I probably couldn't do at all because I didn't really believe in myself when I was younger. Um, another thing I really wanted to be was a marine biologist. Oh. However, I kind of lost it after, like, third grade. But I used to really, really want to work with animals. Interesting. Now, who or what inspired you? You said you always wanted to be an author. Who or what, if anyone, inspired you to pursue writing and book publishing? Hmm. You know, I'm not sure of anyone specific, actually, because there's so many different kind of influential people. Um, Mainly a lot of the authors of the books I read when I was younger were really, really inspiring for me because it made me feel like, hey, you know, I can actually do this like these people are. And when I was younger, I was, like, go in bookstores and, like, see, you know, the, like, images of authors for, like, their book signing and be like, oh, my gosh, these people are so cool. Um, so as for specific people, I'm not entirely sure. I will say that, like, my kind of writing dream really took off when um, the pandemic hit in sixth grade and I was stuck at home. That was probably the most, one of the most important things that ever happened to me, despite how, um, you know, tragic it was for a lot of people you know what i'm just thinking shanti you might be for off the shelf we've had oh i know well over hundreds of new york Times bestsellers we've had movie producers on editors we've had a spoken word we've had so many different types of people on you might be our like our youngest guest so Wow, you're making history on on off the shelf here, and I, I congratulate you on going after your dream, what you really want to do, instead of talking yourself out of it. I just think that is absolutely phenomenal. What attracts you, particularly? You said some some of the authors that you read, but if you have it more specifically, what really attracted you to science fiction? And fantasy, why did you even start to read and explore this genre? 
so science fiction was a genre that I was ex- exposed to really early on because my parents are big fans of science fiction, and I grew up reading books like Space Cat and then, of course, like watching Star Wars and other shows. And it was just something that really fascinated me. Also, another thing I wanted to be when I was like four years old was an astronaut, so I really was interested in space. But, of course, science fiction isn't all space. That's just one subcategory of it. But I ended up reading a lot also like about robots and technology because – Another thing I really, really liked to do when I was a kid was um, computer programming, and that is often prevalent in science fiction. As for fantasy, I think that was an interest that also really came about based on the books that I was reading when I was really, really, really young because I just, I don't know, I discovered that genre probably when I was about in kindergarten or first grade, and I think fantasy is a genre that is really, really just amazing for so many different people because it's like, almost, you know, another world that you can, like, you know, like, what's the word, you know, submerge yourself in, and you can really, you know, escape from reality with fantasy and science fiction, too, and other books. But I feel like fantasy is a really big one just because it, takes, it usually takes place somewhere totally different with totally different rules. And then writing it is a whole different thing, and that's incredibly special. Oh, my goodness, you're taking me back to when I was younger. I started writing when I was 10 years old. I think I started my first novel when I was 12. Now, what were the two novelas? Tell us about the two novelas you wrote when you were in the sixth grade. Oh, my goodness. Okay. See, I don't really talk about this much, but, like, the first two books that I published when I was in the sixth grade, there were these novellas, and they were – I wrote them with my friend, and they're around, I think, 50 pages each, and they are really – they were really um, interesting books. I, I don't like hating on my work. However, I honestly don't really know what happened in this book. Part of it was because it was, like, you know, two different people writing, and that can be very difficult. But also, we just didn't really know what we were doing. So I um, wanted to get a printed copy of the first one once we were done. And the way I decided to do that was through Amazon's KDP. And what I realized was you can publish a book that way. And so I could read it. That's what I did. And then I started marketing it around my school, and it was just this kind of silly thing, but at the same time, it gave me that opportunity to learn about, like, self-publishing and even after learning about traditional publishing, too. And then in the end, um, that's what kind of led me to be able to publish all of my other solo books. So what were these novelists about? What was happening in these books? You said you co-wrote them. What was, can you give us just a general overview of what the stories were about? We'll try, yeah. So um, it, it, it's about a cat that lives in this, um, I don't really know if it's a fantasy world or if it's far world. There's a cat, and the cat lives somewhere. And then the cat somehow manages to walk off the edge of the world and falls into this, like, new world with these creepy monsters and um, this villain. And then there's some plot twist, I think, that like, reveals more about why he's there. Um, it's a lot of cliches, but it was really fun to write. I think I don't really remember. Um, so it's like portal fantasy almost, but with a cat and um, like this evil villain that I feel like was like a rip off of someone, but I don't remember who it is. So. Oh, sounds like you had fun. You 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 weren't writing it almost to say, okay, I want to. Publish it, it sounds like, or sell a lot of copies. I just, you just were having fun creating a story, you and your friend, which 
that by itself is, is rewarding. Now, can you give us an overview, Shanti, of um, your book, Beyond Lock? Could you give us an overview of that book? Oh, yeah, so Beyond Lock was a book that I wrote in a few months after Odyssey, I think, which is like the novellas. And that book is, it was the first novel I ever wrote, so it's a very um, important book in my history. I started writing it right in the middle of the pandemic, and I was really, like, lost. I was isolated, and I felt really, really depressed. And the way I handled that was deciding that I wanted to write a book, and I decided I wanted to write, like, an actual full-length novel. So I usually consider Biomoss to be, like, the first, you know, full, real book I ever wrote. And I started writing it with the intention that it was going to be a 20,000-word, you know, novella or maybe even, like, a 50,000-word novel. And in the end, the first draft was 250,000 words and almost 900 pages, which is way Whoa! So um, split it into three books, and then I actually wrote a fourth book the summer after. But that's not important. Um, the plot of Fine Lock is really – it's hard to explain. But it's like – so it takes place 30 years after an alien invasion in which the aliens have forced humans – to live in these, live captive in these, like, separate biomes, and they're based off of, like, the forest biome or the mountain biome or the desert biome, and it's a way to keep humans, like, contained almost as if they're, like, the alien's pets. Um, the main character, Griffin, thinks he's sentenced to the worst biome of them all. It's the dark forest, and he has to learn to survive through illness and fights, and he eventually makes friends, but then weird things start to happen, as in every book. And he finds himself with this connection to this girl who lives in the biome right next to his. So if he, um, and then things are going to happen, because I almost just spoiled, sorry. And then things are going to happen, and they're going to bring them together. And if they're together, then him and his friends, you know, they can defy the law to the biome walk. Ah. And they could try to make it to a biome that has this rebellion, or they could die along the way. So I think wow. it's like, I almost just spoiled that book so many times. Now, are the be is it are these biomes? Are they on Earth? Are they on another planet? And it was describe it. Describe this place. What's it like? Yeah, Earth. There, what happened was the aliens destroyed a large portion of the world, so they're in this portion. Maybe it's not a very large, I'd say, but they have, of course, like the rest of the world. And their, their main city is near it. And it's like there's – I have a map of it. Um, but the biomes, they're kind of in a – I think it's like a two by six. Or I don't remember how many biomes there are. But um, – and there's this giant golden gate, like, separating each biome. And then there's fog to prevent people from seeing over. And um, that gate – is like rigged with like electricity, like a really actually a really strong quantity of electricity, and then has an alarm that will go alert aliens if someone tries to escape. And they're I, I love this part, but they're dropped in the biome because they are before and they go there once they're thirteen. Before they're thirteen, they live in this institute, and it's like almost like boarding school, a lot worse and a lot there's a lot more aliens. And they're dropped in the biome with this like flying elevator. I don't know, I just love that part. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! So these aliens—they—they don't—they're not on Earth, but they've come to now inhabit the Earth. They're, they're 
there on Earth and are humans living in on other planets when this story takes place? And then also, what what time is this story taking place? Um, it takes place in the year 2060, and yet the humans are still on Earth. What happened originally was a large portion of humans, like on their invasion, um, ended up dying because they were trying to protest or trying to escape. And it left with a very kind of, I don't know how many exactly, like a very kind of small amount of people that ended up surviving and then had to go to the bottom block. But then a lot of people also died in the bottom block. So the amount of humans left are very little. And these humans are the ones living in the bottom block. So just what is it about this a typical boy that inspires home in, in these biomes? What is it about him? Does he have a special gift? I have to say, so with Griffin, he's a very kind of shy, quiet person, but at the same time, he's a normal teenage boy in almost every way, and he can be very upbeat at times, he can also be very anxious, and he just, he has this connection with this girl, and that connection can bring him very far, and he's also, one thing that kind of actually really important is he's very stubborn, and like, at one point in the book, he accidentally grabs a poisonous thorn bush, and then they have to get him medicine, and then that ends up being, brings them so far in the story. I feel like that's kind of a result of the It's okay. Where did you get the idea? I'm sitting there listening to you. Where did you get the concept, the idea for Beyond Luck? So I can pinpoint it to the funniest thing. Uh, it was a game of Minecraft with my sister. So we had this bot. We had this. It was this um, map, and it was just like a sampler of different biomes that it kind of made it seem like they were like, you know, sectioned off from each other. And we were like, you know, this would be like a really fun. I think I said like, you know, this could be a fun book. Like they're trapped in the biome. But I never really, you know, did anything with that idea until literally like months later. I gotta study. So these biomes, they're real. They're really all um, biomes. So so it's like um, it was like a video game that we were playing, and then someone. Oh, you know, like, oh! I was getting to go online and Google them. <laughs> like, are they real? Are they real? Like black holes? You hear about black holes? Are these biomes yeah. really real? Yeah. Oh, very interesting. You have quite the imagination. How many books are in the series? And why did you decide to uh, turn a story into a series? So the main decision to turn the story into the series came about because of the length of the book, because it would be near impossible to actually publish, both self-publishing and traditionally published, and to market a book of that length. Of course, it's been done. However, for like I feel like for a debut author, which I technically was at that point, um, a book is that long. People don't really want to read long books. I mean, some people do, but, like, really, really long books are harder to finish, and therefore they're actually harder to get used for to actually market. So that was one of the decisions. And also because editing would take forever. And I was in seventh grade by the time editing, like, was almost done, and I was like, I don't want to keep editing this book. Can we still? <laughs> um, I decided to, actually, the first, first off, I was actually going to just split it into two books, and then I decided to split it into three and then I actually wrote a fourth book, which is potentially the start to a sequel series um, a few months later. Wow. But what, what, what age group is, would you say the Beyond Lock series is written for? Any age group I think or? Okay. 
it's not really, some of my other books, I'd take like 14 and up, but this one is pretty, also because I was 12 when I started writing it, so. Now, introduce, introduce us to some of the other major and minor characters who helped move these, the story forward. So I have to say, I think my favorite character in the entire story is Kira. She actually originally was going to be a supporting character, and then I was like, there's no way this girl can be a supporting character. She's too cool. So she is um, 16 years old, and she's generally a really sullen, upset person. There are moments of the story where she's happy, and it kind of almost breaks character, but it's good. And she's obviously harboring a lot of trauma, and within that trauma, there's a secret. And I can't reveal that secret. Um, what she discovers is that secret is actually tied to an even larger secret. And that larger secret could potentially get her killed because there are people out there that would not like her. Actually, like, because humans wouldn't really like her. Aliens, of course, don't like her either. So it's this very kind of complex thing that she's going through. But throughout the story, she learns to trust the main characters more. And she learns to kind of come to terms with things and be able to actually love herself. Other than Kira, the other main character is Colette. And Colette is a very unique, um, usually obedient girl. She always follows the Asian tools. However, she kind of gets tired of that after a while, living in the bottom loft. And once she's introduced to Griffin and everyone else, and she meets people within her own biome that are rule breakers, she starts to kind of see that, like, you can't follow the alien's rules and still be happy. And if you're unhappy, you have to do something about it. And then, oh, my. Go ahead. I'm just using Go ahead. Go, go ahead. <laughs> So um, another character, because those are, like, basically, those are, like, the three main characters. I have some kind of supporting characters uh, within, like, the side of the good guys, but they're not as interesting. Like, there's nothing to talk about with those guys. Um, I don't remember. But um, there's another character, Kester, and he is the villain. He is half Zor, half human, and he's managed, although they don't know why, he's managed to get himself to a position of great power. He's the king of the Zor. He is, he's a, I want to say he's complex, but at the same time, I'm not so sure, because I didn't write him when I was 12 years old. However, he, um, like, he doesn't really like his job, and a lot of the Zorb don't like him, and of course, the humans don't like him. It's kind of similar to Kira. It's like, they feel like they're not liked by anyone. And Kester, he's never really gotten a chance to find who he is, because he's been apprenticing for his father since he was really young. And he's been taught, like, you know, you're going to be the king of the door. So he's this very kind of, he's very emotionally immature throughout the story. And at the same time, there are moments where he's, like, pure evil and in what he's doing and how he's treating the main character. So it's like, how do I explain it? You have these two sides of him. Same with Kira and same with some of the other characters. Like, they have this personality, but at the same time, there are moments where they kind of break through the personality and become someone else. Uh, it's very, very interesting. And you have you know, your imagination as you continue to write and hone your skill. I could see where it could take you very, very, very far, very far. Uh, you, like, could be at the beginnings of something just absolutely wonderful, uh, waiting for you to step into it. What's going on in the United States in 2026 
during the telling of the God's right hand? In the God's right hand, that is one of my favorite books I've written. I think Calvert. There are a couple books that I love more than it. Um, but this book takes place in 2026, in which, due to a bunch of different reasons, America has split into two countries, East and West America. And Eris is kind of caught in the middle of it. She lives in West America, and she wants nothing to do with either side. She thinks it's stupid, and really she's just trying to get through community college. However, on her walk home one day, there an assassin for the um, East thinks that she is trying to enlist the military, and one thing both sides have done is try to scope out who is trying to join the military and assassinate them before they can join, which is very brutal, but it's what we've come to. And she thinks she's about to die. And what happens is she holds up her hand instead of dying because the guy didn't shoot her. She catches the bullet. And what she realizes is she has a power where she literally cannot be shot. And she can deflect bullets and potentially other things too. It depends on how well she can end up honing her powers. And this terrifies her because theoretically a soldier who can't be shot in the midst of a war is extremely helpful. And she panics. She is just absolutely hysterical. She is terrified, and of course, that power is discovered, and that leads her into captivity from the East, as well as trying to kind of avoid the West. And along the way, she meets sinister characters who obviously want her for her power, and she has to figure out who she is and what is going on, also in the middle of a war. So it's very interesting. Wow. I was going to ask you, how did Eris become a central figure in the Civil War, but you just you just told us that. Now tell us about her family, and are they part of what's going on during the the war? And if so, how so? So her family is not explored too deeply in the book. However, I think her family has a very similar kind of moral to she does. They don't like the war either. A lot of the civilians don't. It's the soldiers that really keep it going, and it's also like there's some civilians that are really really out of it about destroying the other country. And that's what becomes problematic instead of, like, this middle ground. Um, so her parents, I believe, they kind of, they're not, they don't like it. They're against it because, of course, they probably have friends and family that are on the other side and that are part of the East or, you know, anyone. Because it's like, you know, that everyone kind of knows someone who now is on, like, the enemy side. Right. So I think her parents have taught her. You know, like, hey, this is not a good thing. This is, like, basically it's pretty much almost a country-destroying thing. It's catastrophic. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'm listening to you. Now, now, um, why does Eris feel she's got her family and they really don't want the war? Like, you know, people on both sides. You can say that globally. People can say, I don't want any wars. I know people in different countries. You know, I just I just don't like war. I don't want anyone to suffer ever. Now, why does Eris feel like she's got a family? Why does she feel like there's no one who she can trust? I think at first she thinks no one will believe her. That this is something that like obviously didn't happen, or she's crazy. And she's also kind of scared to tell them. There's no reason she's scared to tell anyone else because it's like you know, what if they want to like use that power? Or what if, you know, she tells one of her friends and her friends do it. And she's still trying to process it early on. Um, what happens is the following day, an incident happens in which she's able to demonstrate her power again. And then that time it's in front of other people. And she's terrified. She kind of is trying to get home. 
and something happens that brings her into the arms of the enemy before she, because she was, I think she was planning to help her parents when she was on her way home. However, she never got home. Mm. Now, are teens in your story, Shanti, are they always empowered? When I was researching for your interview, I thought of the Harry Potter book series, and one of the things they said that really helped that book take off was you rarely saw books. When I was a little girl, I loved Pippi Longstocking. She was just an empowered little girl. But you rarely saw books with young people. They're empowered. They're the ones with the power. And they're not doing bad things. They're the ones with the power. It's a rare, it was rare. Harry Potter is one of the first books that really took off. And Pippi Longstocking sold well, too, but where that kind of real power in the Harry Potter book with a kid, not an adult having it, but a kid having that power is really new. So and are teens in your stories, Shante, are they always empowered? And if so, why did you choose this approach? I don't think the teens in my books are always empowered. I have to say the majority of my books now um, do feature teenagers as the main characters, and I do think by the end of the story they are empowered and perhaps by the middle of the story. However, a lot of the time they don't start empowered, or they start empowered and they lose that power. Because I think it's an interesting journey to see how they gain that power and how that will help them and how that's like a lesson that can be learned. But at the same time, also, I think having powerful teenagers in books is really, really important for kids growing up and people of the same age because it gives them someone to like look up to and sort of admire, although hopefully those characters are good. You know, not every character is a good guy. Okay. Now, is, is, is Zeal Delane... Is Zill Delane a person or a place? Um, she's a person. And so she's a 10-year-old girl, and she's maybe a ghost. Maybe she's not. We'll have to read to find out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So so as you wrote, the first book in the, the first book in the series of the Beyond Lock really started out, as you said earlier, in today's interview, it started out as one book, which was 900 pages. So because of the length of the manuscript, you made it into a series of, of three books because of how the, the length of it. But now you are you now where your stories are, all of them are going to be a series, a, a part of a series that the story, it takes so long to tell. Speaking of Star Trek, again, the Harry Potter, it's like you can't tell the story in one book. Is that the way you see your writing going, going forward? It depends on the book. There are some books in mind that I think are definitely standalone, and then others that are part of the series. For example, Valdelaine, that one is a three-book series. And it actually, was, it was going to be a series most likely no matter what. Early, early on, I might have thought otherwise. However, the moment I started writing, I was like, okay, this is going to be a series. And originally it was going to be slightly longer because I was going to combine the first two books, and then I decided, like, I need these cliffhangers. I need all three. Um, but really it does depend on the book. The one I'm writing right now is most likely a series. Uh, not a series, a standalone. The one I just finished is standalone. I like writing standalones probably more than I write, like writing series because I can just move on. <laughs> and then it's like I have so many different characters and so many different plot lines, but it's really fun that way. So... Oh, my goodness, you guys, off-the-shelf listeners, we are having the pleasure of speaking with Miss Shanti Hershenson, and uh, she's our special guest here this morning. She writes 
across genres, including science fiction, fantasy, and historical fiction. She's also an advocate for anti-bullying, which we want to talk about later. Some books she's written and published include You Won't Know Her Name, Beyond Locke, The Heiress Andraste Duology, and Chronicles of Zell Delane. You can visit Shante Hershenson online at S-H-A-N-T-I-S, E-R-S-H-E-N-S-O-N. Again, that's S-H-A-N-T-I-H-E-R-S-H-E-N-S-O-N dot com. I have so many more questions I wanted to ask you. I I never get to all the questions uh, in the interview, but these words are found at your website, Shantai. It says, never go to the places you aren't supposed to be. Never go to the places you aren't supposed to be. What prompted Aaron Hurd to go somewhere he wasn't supposed to be? So with Aaron, he is a very adventurous 10-year-old boy. He lives in a small town. Um, the town is actually not named. However, there's a book I just wrote that has to do with it that does name it, but that's not out yet, so I can't spoil it. So what happens is him and his friends are looking for a new place to play, and they find that there is this mansion, and the front yard is very spacious. It would be perfect for a game of dodgeball or whatever else they want to play. So that is where they decide to play. Of course, going on that mansion, like just going on the grounds, will forever alter their lives. Can you describe this place? Well, you just did. So it, it sounds like this place where he wasn't supposed to be, Sounds very enticing and beautiful, gorgeous. Is that would that be accurate? I'd say it's a little overgrown, but it's definitely a very pretty house. And the front yard once was very beautiful, but now it's more overgrown. And the oh, you can see the decay around it. You can see it's something that once was beautiful, but it no longer is. And maybe maybe it needs yeah. to be restored. Now, Aaron Hurst. Is is Aaron Hurt a real person or a ghost? Oh, um, I can't spoil that. So <laughs> I think he's a real ten-year-old boy. Oh, a ten-year-old boy. Okay. Can you t- introduce off-the-shelf listeners to Aaron Hurt? What is he like? What's his personality like? What are his strengths and weaknesses? What motivates him? So I'd say Aaron is your average 10-year-old boy. He has a lot of friends, and he really enjoys going to his town's indoor play place to, like, run around, even though he's getting a little too old for it. He, I think he's a really kind person. Um, he's very brave, and he's also very curious. I think his curiosity can be more of his downfall just because of how it will end up kind of attacking him if he goes things, goes places he's not supposed to be. He's also can be very nervous at times. He gets scared often quickly, but that doesn't mean he's not brave and he's he's very kind of courageous and I think he's the brave one in the fun group. He um has grown up in the town for basically his entire life and he's never noticed anything terribly odd about it. However, he does have an imaginary friend that is slowly seeming realer and realer. Wow. So, oh, so is he an only child, Aaron? Yeah. Okay, so he's a – one thing I'm listening to you, and I wonder if our listeners are picking this up as well, when I'm, you're describing your, your characters, they clearly, even like the uh, the the girl – 
who during the Civil War 2026, the East-West split, Eris, she... Uh, she 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 gets shot and it doesn't affect her. She gets captured. They you show their strengths and their weaknesses. They, they Aaron might be a little too curious. He doesn't check things out enough before he ventures into them. Some of the characters are shy, but they have this strength about them. So it, you're, it's very clear that the characters have uh, this. It's not like a Superman, you know, the kryptonite for Superman, but. Is that was that one thing? There's something in the grain in your character that's a strength or a weakness. Was that always your intent when you were developing the characters? Usually, I think having like any character you write, there should be something about the character that can bring them down. Because you have a character that's like no weaknesses, all powerful, and that's not really a good character. Because one, the readers won't be able to relate to them, and two, it's like boring if they're just getting through every task with no problem. Mm. But some superheroes, it's really, it's yeah. You see their you see their weaknesses, but not. It's you don't see it as you don't see it as clearly. I'm thinking about the main character in Harry Potter. If I had to say what his weakness was, I'd say I don't know. And it was a, it was a fabulous story. Now, are there people, the people in this in the Aaron Hurst, where again the quote at your website: "Never go to the places you aren't supposed to be." Are these people, are they still in their bodies? Are they like ghosts? I know you don't want to give the story away. Are they just imaginary parts of Aaron's imagination, the other characters who show up in the story? I'd say the majority of them are real, but also there are some characters that we're not going to know about right away. And then going to be very interesting. So I don't want to spoil it, so there's not much I can really give in terms of that. However, most of the characters are real people. Now, what causes, what happens, Shanti, what happens to cause Aaron to think that he's in danger? So, there are a few incidents such as this creepy girl following him and the nightmares that he's having. It's very, I say it's gradual, but it gets really, really intense very quickly as to what happens. And um, just little things go off that end up making him think, like, okay, something is like going wrong here. What is going on? And is, is switching gears just a little, is You Won't Know Her Name, is that your latest, your most new book? So that book released around a year ago, but I'd say it's still one of my most popular books, if not my most popular book. Oh, well, give us a brief uh, overview or synopsis of, that's the one at the top of her website to our listeners. Can you give us a brief synopsis of You Won't Know Her Name? Yes, so You Won't Know Her Name is a novel called of poetry. It's based on a true story, and it follows this girl, and she has oh. no name as you in the story. Like, no one's just got a name. They're all very basic kind of labels, such as the girl, the person, the girl's sister, or the teacher, the principal. Um, but using that kind of sense of anonymity kind of allows the book to really go deeper into the story and to really share more information. And it also has this really kind of, I don't know, it's like it almost allows the story to focus on what's going on with, like, 
the characters and what's going on with, like, the actions of the characters as opposed to, like, having the reader focus on something else because names can sometimes be distracting. So it follows this girl, and she's starting middle school, and she's moving from private school to this big public school for the first time, and she's terrified, except she has her sister, and she's also late to school by three days because things happened on the other two days that prevented her from going. And right away, she joins the first friend group she can meet. And in that friend group, there is someone who is called or referred to throughout the book as the person. And their friendship, her, her, her friendship with the person starts off as very innocent, and slowly it grows abusive, and it grows into something that's bullying, or perhaps even worse than that, throughout the book. And her sister has the same relationship. And about halfway through the book, perhaps, that relationship is, I'd say, torn apart. And then the rest of the book is the girl struggling with what has just happened to her and really learning how to make something out of her trauma. Oh, wow. What do you What do you hope for readers to gain from reading You Won't Know Her Name? I think there are several different things I hope readers to gain, depending on the person who's reading it. For someone who's gone through something similar, I hope they can find sort of comfort in the girl and, like, know that they're not alone and to find a character they can really relate to on a really personal level. For adults, I hope they can kind of see, like, actually a lot of adults who read the book say it really brought them back to their middle school days, and that is really unfortunate to hear, but it's also a really interesting thing to hear. So I think adults can also find some, like, serious, like, relatability in the book. And I think teachers should read it to kind of see what can go on in their schools and to learn that, like, a lot of schools really fail their students, and that's not something that can keep happening because that's obviously wow. really bad and really unfortunate. Wow. You know, kind of leads me into the next question I was going to ask you. You also do work for anti-bullying. Can you tell us about some of the work that you do and do some of your stories aim to help uh, teach people for awareness and help to reduce bullying? Yeah, You Won't Know Her Name is my main sort of way I try to reach people with my message about anti-bullying. Other than that, of course, I speak a lot about it on podcasts. I'm trying to get my school business up and running. I haven't really been able to do that because, for one, pandemic, and then, two, I have, I'm in high school, so I have a lot to figure out. But I'd say just the most important thing I can do is like posting on social media and talking on podcasts and promoting this book and like sharing with people like what I have to say about bullying and sharing like advice and everything like that. I man, you are empowered talking about your characters being empowered. I see why they are. You are, you don't just think about things or talk about it. You're actually out there doing what you can to, to make a positive love based change. And I, Really applaud and salute you for that. Now you write a lot, Shanti. I'm listening to you, and you've got to you've got school or whatever you're doing, and whatever you're going to pursue after school, after you graduate. But do you write? Because you seem to write very fast. So do you write on two or more book series simultaneously, or do you? Does it take you just a month to finish a novel? Then you just immediately start on another one. What is what is that? What is that? How are you able to produce your books as quickly as you do? Yeah, I have a very chaotic process. However, always what I do is I'm always writing a book and I'm always editing a book. The book that I'm editing, it's usually I'm either I'm usually on like because right now what I'm doing is I'm currently writing a new book. I have a, I have a couple of books on my backlog that need to be edited next. However, I'm currently editing 
the Bane of Angel Fall Academy, or just in like that last round of editing, we have like 10 chapters left, and that book should be published in like February or March. And basically, like, I try to put my focus more on the books that I'm writing. That usually takes me about one to three months to finish the first draft. Then I let that book sit for a bit as I go start writing another book and start editing another book. Ah. Now, at some point, if you're, when your career takes off, you might, uh, I don't know if you consider working with a, a, a different editor or some beta readers who give you some feedback on the story. Other things that as a writer you might miss, even though stepping away from a book and going back to do another edit is, is fabulous. But working with a professional editor, that's, they just, they have, they've never seen the story. They don't have anything invested in it. And they can maybe, if they're experienced, give you even more insight on character development, story development, maybe some line editing. I, I just, that's just, I'm just throwing that out there. Now, what you said, you're um, an editor, other than myself, but um, I think I will at some point, like get beta readers. I have art readers right now, and they read the book like in the months before it's published and then leave a review. However, beta readers can be really helpful for feedback. I'm just always too nervous about it because, like, if I, you know, hire a bunch of people, not hire, because like, usually you just, like, get sign up. If I have a bunch of people sign up and then they just don't read the book or like, only one of them does, and I'd worry that I'm, like, wasting my time and kind of doing my process. So I'm going to find some trustworthy people, and then I think I'm going to start that. So, so, you just sit down when you, your writing process for our listeners who themselves might want to write a novel. Do you, you do you do an outline, Shante? Do you do sketches? How do you get the story from your head onto the paper? It, again, I understand. I, I say it depends a lot, but it does really depend on what the scene is. So, for example. Um, for the book I'm writing right now, like, I know a little about what's going to happen in, like, the next scene, but at the same time, there's not a lot that I know. Um, sometimes I have full plot points written down, but I never, I'm not really an outliner. I'm, like, in between, but I lean more towards just doing it all on the spot. Um, but one thing I do to really get me in kind of the mindset for writing is I listen to music that really reminds me of the characters in the story. That's one of the most helpful things I can recommend is, like, listening to music and thinking of your story, thinking of your characters. It's very silly, but it really, really does work. And because sometimes, like, in the morning I go out for breakfast, and then when I'm on my own at home, I'm like, okay, I'm going to write when I get back. So when I'm in the car, I listen to music. That really can help me, like, think of the characters. Oh, my goodness. Do you have any other artistic talents or gifts do you paint do you sketch you sound but your imagination is very strong do you do any other creative artists music singing dancing no i just say i really don't it's like i'm not very um i'm not a very artistic person i think other than writing i'd love to draw i do sketch a lot but i'm not a very good artist so what what shante as we come down to the last few minutes in today's show can you share three to four steps that you uh, have found to be effective at getting the word out about your books? I think, um, obviously, because it's working for like, podcasts and, like, radio shows and everything like that, and just being able to talk to so many different people is really, really, really exciting, and it's really fun. The second thing I do is I do a lot of book signings and a lot of events. 
I really love doing it. I do it like, to meet the people that are going to buy my books in person, and I get to talk to them. I get to tell them about the book, and I get to give them recommendations, and I just, I love meeting people. Um, other things I do, which this is a big one, I post on TikTok. A lot of people kind of laugh about that. And they're like, wait, why TikTok? Like, the idea of making these short videos is it's kind of silly, but it really works. And people do, like, discover you, and they do buy your books based on the videos you make. And I also can post, like, feedback, like, not feedback. I can post, like, advice, and I can post, you know, things about, like, my story and who I am. And it really kind of connects me to readers on a slightly more personal level. You are just amazing. <laughs> I'm telling you, where yes, did you get the ideals when I was young, I, went, I read a lot of the Writer's Digest, the writer. I went to writer's conferences. Where did you get the idea for these different types of marketing? Keeping in mind, there was no Internet when I was starting out, so now you have that. But where are you getting these ideas to do these types of things to market your books? Not only are you writing your, these books and editing them and publishing them, you're coming up with these clever ways to introduce your books to readers where is, is someone in your family have a uh, have a strong business acumen, and they say, "Oh, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that?" If not, where are you coming up with these marketing concepts, ideas? I'd say most of my marketing is just stuff I've either randomly brainstormed or just stuff I've learned to do over time. A lot of it has been trial and error, seeing like which releases really didn't do well, which which releases did amazing, and then based on that, figuring out like where I can do better. Also, one thing that was really helpful is when I was first writing my book, when I didn't have, you know, I had, like, the two Odyssey books. So those weren't good. I don't want to market those. So when I was first writing Biolog, and I was thinking one day about being really successful and amazing, I just researched a lot of marketing. And what I would do sometimes, I would turn on the TV, I would watch Star Wars, because that's what I was really, really, really into at the time. And I would, as I was watching, be reading articles about marketing and how to, like, get your book in the hands of readers. It was just such a good thing to do. A lot of authors kind of just, I don't know, only like look up marketing when they need to market. But I'd say learning while you're still young and kind of getting experience while you're still writing your first book is so important. And then also actually marketing a little before you start writing, well, before you're, while you're still writing your book and like before it's published is also really helpful. Oh, my God, you are like a breath of fresh air. Now, are you working on any – New books right now, Shante, if so, can you give us, we only have about five minutes left in today's show, but if you are working on any new books, can you give us a quick glimpse into what you're working on? Yeah, so I um, just actually, I just started writing a new book, and this book is hard to explain. It's a very kind of intense science fiction, almost thriller book, and I so hard to explain there's a lot I don't know yet. I'm only 10,000 words in. However, I'd say if you like The Hunger Games and some other dystopian novels, but also like any like crime thriller, maybe you might like this book. Oh my goodness. When do you think you will have it out on the market? Is by summer of this year when our off the shelf listeners can look for it? Ooh, I don't know yet. Perhaps. Usually I work pretty quickly. I just I have a ton of books on my backlog, so those need to come out first. But I'd say maybe around summer or winter 2023, perhaps a little later, early 2024. It all really depends on um, my backlog. Because, like, I can kind of move some things around and get that one out, but I also, like, have so many other books I got to, like, market. So. 
what advice what advice do you have for someone whether they're young or they're just starting out regardless of age who's looking to write publish and market a book uh what advice would you share with somebody first off this goes for both um adults and teenagers is that don't let your age get ahead of you I hear too much teenagers being like, well, I'm too young to write a book. I'm too young. I can't write a good book. Get that mindset out of your head. It's not going to help you at all. It doesn't matter how old you are as long as you keep practicing and you write every single day, you can be a good author. And then on the other side of things, adults are like, well, I'm too old to write a book. I should have written one when I was younger. If you're never too old to write a book, let's do still write one. So I'd say, like, get your age out of your head and just write and learn and share your stories with people. Other than that, I say this every time I'm asked, just write the same amount every day. It really, it trains your brain to be able to kind of handle, like, work this workload. For me, I write 1,000, 2,000 words a day. Right now, I'm actually doing 2,000 words a day. I'm writing right now. And it's so important to stick to that because after a while, it gets really easy. And then it's like it's going by in no time, and sometimes you'll even want to write more. But the only way you can actually be able to, like, you know, do this is if you just every single day commit to it. Wow, you that's amazing to you. Now, where can off-the-shelf listeners get a copy of your books, Shanti? You can buy my books anywhere you buy books online, so like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Waterstones, just really anywhere that sells books. Um, I think even like Target and Walmart online. Also, you can find my books in some bookstores in person. I think you live in San Diego. Just check out your local bookstore because I can buy through those a lot, and my books might be there. And then also, do, or do you have any upcoming speaking engagements? If so, can you share some of those with our listeners? I have a book signing. It's with 11 other authors for the local author meet and greet at Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore in San Diego, and it's on February 25th. Okay. And then um, also, you mentioned TikTok. Are you on any other social networks? And if so, can you tell us what networks you're on and where how our listeners can find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and probably pretty much everything. I'd say Instagram and TikTok are my main platforms. I don't really tweet anything. I just retweet things that people say about me. So um, I'd recommend following me on TikTok. My TikTok is at Shanti Who Writes. And my Instagram is just at Shanti Hershenson. Oh, my goodness. What a treat. Oh, what a treat. We have had the absolute pleasure of having with us today, I think she's a history off the shelf, uh, Shanti Hershenson. And she's online again at S-H-A-N-T-I-H-E-R-S-H-E-N-S-O-N.com. She is not holding back, you guys. She started writing and publishing when she was in the sixth grade, she is she means business. She some of her books are you won't know her name, Beyond Lock, The Heiress, Andraste Duology, and The Chronicles of Zill Delane. She's got a book signing coming up. It's some people been adults been writing for several years and still haven't got a bookstore signing. So hopefully she's inspired you and motivated you, encouraged you to get going, to get going. And if you're getting going, hopefully you've been encouraged to keep going. So I want to thank Shante for taking time out of her day to be here with us here on Off the Shelf. And always I thank all of you, our listeners, 
I tell you this all the time, and I'm just going to keep saying it till you truly believe it. You are awesome. You are amazing. You are incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Shante, I'll send you a link to your show when it finishes streaming. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Thank you for having me.